Welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast, a show where we discuss what's wrong with healthcare and talk with innovative companies disrupting the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we explore strategies to help employers lower healthcare costs and build a better health plan. Now here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Jay Parkinson from Sherpa. Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. So to get us started, I'm going to read a brief bio about you and Sherpa so the audience has a little bit of context about who they're listening to, and then we'll get into it. Dr. Jay Parkinson is founder and CEO of Sherpa, a virtual primary care organization that endeavors to provide improved access to high-quality primary care for employers and individuals via an innovative online delivery model. Dr. Parkinson completed residencies in pediatrics and preventive medicine at John Hopkins University. In addition to launching multiple startups in the healthcare space during his career, he has given talks on the new frontiers that technology creates for health and medical care at over 50 conferences, including TED, Google's Zeitgeist, the Clinton Global Initiative, the Aspen Institute, and PopTech. Anything else you'd like to mention? <laughs> well, I think you covered most of it. All right. All right. Most of the last 11 years is essentially just distilled down to that paragraph, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you are, are not necessarily the typical person we, we interview on your show because you're, you're a provider. So I'm excited to get your perspective, but we always start at kind of the macro level. And so, as you know, we, we have a healthcare system that I like to compare it to an insatiable beast that consumes more and more of our, our disposable income. There was a recent Kaiser Family Foundation study that indicated about three in 10 adults report that someone in their household has problems paying for medical bills. And among those who have problems paying medicals, seven in 10 report cutting back spending on food, clothing, and basic household items. So clearly that illustrates the enormity of the problem that we have you know, in this country with, with regards to healthcare. Tell us in your words, what do you think is wrong with our healthcare system? And why do you think costs continue to increase at the rate that they do year in and year out? Um, I think a lot of it stems from, you know, our expectations to put all of our spending power in the hands of, you know, the few insurance companies. I read a very um, fascinating but kind of depressing book called The Collapse of Complex Societies once. And the basic argument is a lot of these, you know, the Romans, a lot of these South American civilizations collapsed because one day they woke up and realized that everything around them, 90% of it was there to maintain complexity and not add value. And to me, that sounds a lot like healthcare now. There's a lot of middlemen. They're all trying to sort of siphon some dollars off the top. And that's just to power the transaction. But then the second component of that is when you have a group of doctors, like I have to lump myself into that category, looking to bill as much as possible for as many things as possible sort of a system designed to spiral out of control. So you got to take all that complexity out. You have to change what people are paying for and how they pay for it. I think there's some solutions there. I think you're right. And I think you summed it up pretty good. There's a lot of middlemen in the supply chain of uh, the healthcare delivery system and everybody's trying to maximize their slice of the pie. And so we talk about on the show a lot about misaligned incentives. What you also alluded to is kind of the secret that I don't think a lot of people, our, our leaders in government, really want to acknowledge in that the system's really designed for higher costs. Absolutely. You know, I want to transition into a question that is more directly related to what you do. And so it's a pretty simple question. Do we have a primary care problem here in the United States? 
And if so, describe what that problem is and, and how it impacts the provider, the patient, and overall healthcare costs. So I look at healthcare as very much a process problem, not a supply problem. I think there's a lot of doctors out there spending a lot of time doing the wrong processes. And those processes are really a lot of office visits and a lot of procedures. Now, I'm not going to argue too much with the procedure side of things. I'm not a surgeon or anything like that. But I do know the process of how healthcare is delivered via office visits really well. And what I've found over the years is that 70% of you know, primary and urgent care issues just don't need to be seen in person. And that's interesting. So the solution that healthcare has come up with typically is something like telehealth. Well, okay, we can then have, instead of that 10-minute office conversation, we can have a 10-minute video conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, that's really convenient for the patient because they don't have to travel. But at the same time, it's still that same oral conversation. It's just the only change is where it happens. Now, I think, all right, that's an interesting innovation, but I think it can go even further in that let's change how we communicate and problem solve mm-hmm. so that whenever you're doing work with your, your coworkers or you know, organizing a family outing, you don't call a meeting for everything. You email, you text, you, you share a photo of something, and you work in a Google Doc together on it. So that's what I'm talking about. Like redesign the process of communication and problem solving so that you don't have to call a meeting for every stupid little thing. And that makes sense. It feels like a lot of times, even in the, the corporate world, you know, it, it can almost feel like death by meeting, right? <laughs> totally. <You know? laughs> now, I've heard it said that you can, you know, you can be good at work, email, or meetings, but you can only pick two. You know, so I'd rather be good at work and email than meetings, for sure. I like that. (laughs) I like that. Moving on from that question, you talked about kind of a process problem in the current delivery model. In that office visit environment, do you think that how providers are reimbursed has an, whether it's fee-for-service or capitation, do you think that affects the quality that can be delivered to patients? Because oftentimes, and we've seen statistics where, you know, given the size of a patient panel for a primary care physician, you know, they may only have anywhere from eight to 10 minutes to see a patient in an hour. What's your opinion on the, the current reimbursement model for primary care and how that actually affects a provider's ability to deliver quality care? Well, let's think about it this way. Say you have pneumonia. Let's just bring it to life. And that's a three-week process that you're going through. Um, like you feel like crap. You have a fever. You're breathing even no good. That's scary and that's bad. Now, that's a three-week process from beginning to hopefully resolution for you, the patient. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have a doctor and of that three-week process, you have 10 minutes with that person and the only way to actually rethink it or ask more questions is to have another 10-minute visit. That's expensive inconvenient and it's just not how things can be done today right mm-hmm. so that pneumonia you should have the ability to reach out to a doctor and talk to them you know within minutes throughout that three-week process for you because it's stressful you're missing work you're worried about am i going to die do i need to go to the er is this yeah. an urgent care thing like what's up with these antibiotics you know should i take all of them or i'm feeling better you know, after five days, should I complete this whole seven-day course? Mm-hmm. And right now, you're sort of on your own still, even though you have a doctor. So you often go to Google and ask these questions. But it's not tailored to you. So people need, instead of, you know, a doctor, they really need 
one place to go to get care that's accessible 24 7 365. Well, I think that's probably uh, a nice transition into your organization and, and what you do. You know, Sherpa is a virtual primary care practice. So can you explain to our audience, you know, what virtual primary care is, how it's different from other primary care practices and the problems you're attempting to solve with this model? Sure. So one of the things I love about traditional primary care is the concept of Marcus Welby. You know, the concept of you got your own doc and you're always working with them and they know you. And when you have a problem, you reach out to them and it feels good because you're always working with the same doctor. Mm -hmm. Now, traditional telehealth companies is sort of like Uber for doctors. You don't know who you're going to get and they don't know you. You don't know them. And that's it. So if you marry those two things together, you essentially have this really interesting relationship driven doctor patient thing. It's based on continuity mm-hmm. and a patient can communicate with their doctor at any point in time. Now, obviously doctors have lives and they have to, you know, go to lunch and they have that kind of thing. So, but the technology can be designed so that 90% of the same, the, the time you're working with the same doctor. And that's important because again, that pneumonia that lasts three weeks, you want to work with the same person and you want to make sure that everything's going along according to plan. So, right. You know, just blow up that entire concept of the office visit. Give a doctor the ability to have continuity with you. Confirm their suspicions with tests. So that pneumonia can be confirmed with a chest x-ray at a local imaging center. Mm-hmm. Right? And so once that happens, the whole process of how healthcare is done, it, it changes. And it's a different type of business model. It's a different cost structure. And it's a different access, level of accessibility that people can have. And that's what I mean. Just redesign the process of getting care. and everything changes. Got it. Got it. And I think, I think that makes sense in, in today's day and age, you know, people want convenience, you know, they want the instant gratification of, of being able to get information now and, qu- and quickly. I know for me, the thought of going and sitting in a doctor's office in a waiting room surrounded by other sick people, mm-hmm. I don't want anything to do with that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. And you shouldn't. I mean, it's, you know, it's unsafe and it's, it's, that's how bugs are transmitted for sure. So stay yeah. away from all those sick people. So the virtual primary care model is, you know, delivering primary care, you know, virtually. So give us a little more color around how that happens. How does the patient interact with the primary care provider you know, through what technology? Sure. So first of all, I just want to stress that we hire our own doctors so that they work full-time for us. So this is their practice. They're not seeing patients in their office and then doing this on the side. This is all they do. Let me stop you there. So that's interesting, right? Because you made the analogy of telemedicine, like, you know, being like Uber for doctors. Why would a provider abandon a brick and mortar practice, right? And come work in a virtual primary care environment on a full-time basis? Because primary care doctors out in the wild are just getting hammered and they feel like they can't do a good job because they're trying to maintain complexity. And if they want to do a good job, really the doctors that work for us are those that are very mission driven, mm-hmm. uh, forward thinking, open thinkers, um, yeah. good personalities. It's a fascinating, wonderful group. I mean, I just, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't set out to build this, but it just, it, it was, it, they've come together as such a wonderful group. So, so really from the provider side, they're dissatisfied in the current structure and this offered them something better, a better way to deliver care, maybe better lifestyle. 
Right. So 95% of our, our doctors are, are women as well. Mm-hmm. I think it sets up nicely for the like middle-aged mom who yeah. wants uh, a little more free time. One of our doctors has a, a summer home in Maine, and mm-hmm. she really appreciates the opportunity to work from there for the entire summer. Um, one of our doctors is married to a guy who, um, who works in Vienna. So she's in Vienna for six months. So if a person is trying to sort of maintain a practice, but needs that lifestyle flexibility, it's also a great solution for them. Got it. Makes sense. Okay. Now they could take another job with like a teledoc or something like that, but then they'd be seeing pink eye all day, you know, (laughs) and they don't want to do, they want to do like real problems because they're doctors that went through a ton of training to solve complex problems. Right. And probably (laughs) seeing pink eye all day would get a little old. That's That's funny. (laughs) Okay. So, so back to kind of the patient, experience you know i'm i'm not feeling well how do i engage so we have an ios app an android app as well as the browser so you um log into sherpa you basically just create what's called an episode of care so you say hey create an episode and you choose i'm sick i'm hurt i need a test i need a referral it's basically seven buckets of the most common reasons why people should be using you know getting care so then you, you basically write a paragraph or two telling us what's going on. About 25% of the time you share a photo because it's relevant. And then you hit submit. So that then creates an episode of care for our doctors. And our doctors have a back end. It's sort of like, I mean, it's the closest analogy would be like Gmail. You know, so like an email thread is, is the case, the episode of care. So they then uh, read it and ask roughly around 20 questions. All back at you. So it all works asynchronously like email. So those 20 questions are bundled. You answer them. They're free text because we found that people's own words provides the magic. It's not a questionnaire. It doesn't feel stodgy. And then you respond. You might be in a meeting at work whenever you get this. So you can respond after your meeting's over. So it's really convenient. And then, you know, the thread can go from there. It can say, you know what? We need to send you to get that chest x-ray. We need you to get you some blood work. But we found that 70% of the time, all primary care and urgent care issues that come at us don't ever wind up being seen in person. And that's important. Now, these episodes of care can last two weeks for UTI, three weeks for pneumonia, three months for a breast cancer scare. And there's, you know, 80 messages going back and forth. They get pretty complex, but most of the time they're, you know, pretty simple in the sense that it's, you know, 12 messages back and forth. But it's mostly just messaging. You can always give us a call. If it's an urgent issue. Sure, sure. So, so as, a, as a patient, I have the, the ways to engage are via the mobile app, you know, or the web browser. You know, it's oftentimes, you know, back and forth, you know, with, uh, with text and uh, the ability to pick up the phone and, and speak to the physician. And, in, and we talked about this a little bit uh, earlier before we got on the interview. Given all of the video that's going on in the world, and especially with telemedicine, how often are patients wanting to engage with video? We've used it four times in the last seven years. Wow. Uh, yeah. It just, the combination of, well, how about this? Let me say that I believe healthcare is, we're in a special position in society. We're, we're 20 years behind the times. We get to see how other industries evolve. If we're paying attention, we're not going to make the same mistake. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, if people really wanted to video chat with, with strangers, you know, Apple would have been doing it a long time ago. You'd be like video chatting with Hertz customer service. You know, like it's just not a thing that people want. Yeah. 
right? So yeah. you do it with your, you know, your wife, your grandkids, the, the people that are close to you, but you definitely don't do it too frequently. If, if given the option, you would not do it that. So photos plus messaging plus phone is really all you Got it. Makes sense. You mentioned that the provider has the ability to order tests, right? Yeah. And so that's probably a fairly big difference from telemedicine. So walk us through, because I think at this point, employers, most employers are not going to be familiar with virtual primary care. Most all employers now are probably familiar with telemedicine. Help me draw the line between the two and distinguish the difference between virtual primary care versus telemedicine. Sure. 10 minute transactions was between sort of a doctor and patient stranger. It should be called a solution for 30 simple things right? Mm -hmm. Like a, a very uncomplicated UTI, pink eye, something like that. You should really start with here are the 30 potential diagnoses mm -hmm. and then go from there. You can't say this is telehealth, right? Because telehealth is only a solution for 30 simple problems, right? Mm -hmm. So whenever you give the ability for a doctor to have that continuity and also order tests and own the outcome of situations from beginning to end, all of a sudden their scope of practice becomes more like a primary care slash urgent care center. So instead of 30 simple things, it's about 1,500. That's just the practice of primary care. What if though, you know, obviously a primary care doctor is not the be all end all solution. So right. what if you need to be seen in person? That's where virtual primary care gets interesting because to me, primary care really isn't the cost driver. It's yep. the stuff that's downstream. If you're going to, I had to get an MRI once in my brain for headache issues and it was, I had the luxury of going to Columbia here in New York, and it was a $4,500 test. I should have gone to Chelsea Diagnostics, but it would have been $800 or so, which is still a little pricey, but hey, it's a lot better than $4,500. Right. So that's the kind of stuff that we should be directing as primary care. So our virtual primary care doctors need to be cost conscious, and they are. We are driving people to in-network, affordable local facilities and, and, and specialists. Okay, I'm going to stop you there because what you just said, radically different from what actually happens in the real world today. Okay, sure. in the real world today, physicians who are undoubtedly interested in the best outcomes for their patients, right? And they'll, they'll refer out for the MRI or, or to the specialist or for a specific drug, but they have no interest in cost in general, nor were they ever trained to think about cost. And so what happens is cost never comes into any of the referral patterns, right? right. So what you're saying is that your doctors are actually trained to focus on the downstream costs and try to refer to the lowest cost option for the patient. That's the value of the partnerships that we have. So the partnerships with the surgical bundled pricing companies the imaging centers that are, you know, they're non-academic, they're freestanding. It's a hard thing to do, right? So we've been doing this for seven years. Like mm -hmm. the only reason why we can do this is I sort of need to explain our technology. Our technology is essentially three parts. It's an electronic medical record. And, mm -hmm. you know, we built all this stuff from the ground up. And the EMR is there to power just the practice, e-prescribing, ordering tests, you know, communicating yep. with patients. But the second part of it is like a project management software. Because that pneumonia is a project to be managed over three weeks. Yeah. And we need to know that there are, you know, there's a care manager working on something. There is a cost navigator working on something to get the lowest cost prescription or imaging center or something like that. 
So this is, that's a project to be managed. But the third component of it is, is like a CRM, right? And that CRM is for those local specialists and facilities and resources mm-hmm. that we've essentially curated and built from the ground up to say, okay, these are Sherpa friendly that we know to not fleece folks. So that's a network that I think is fascinating. It doesn't exist out there in the wild right now because most networks are essentially just inhumane sort of contractual things. This is more over the course of seven years of building care across America. We're the ones that we found to be on brand with us. Aligned with you, delivering high quality care at a reasonable price. And, you know, you can sift through sort of CMS data and stuff like that. But this is more, we've established relationships with these folks and they know who we are. So awesome. we keep the network really small. You know, we want that relationship because, you know, we need to call the patient, the person, the, the doctor and say, hey, we have somebody who needs care now. Or if somebody who's, you know, got a high deductible, how can we work together? You can't do any of that if you tell people you can only use a service for 30 simple things. So you have to communicate what the service is differently. You have to say, you know, people go to Google for search, go to Sherpa for care, all kinds of care, any kind of care. Mm-hmm. Even if you think, I mean, short of a you know, chest pain and you need to go to the ER, any kind of care comes to us and we will either treat you or direct you. And so that's really the messaging that we have. And so nothing else matters if people don't use us. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, with a, a 30 simple solution, like, like, you know, the traditional telehealth, it's, they get roughly 2%, 3% usage. And so whenever you say use us for anything and we're 12 minutes away versus call up an appointment, pay some money, our usage is anywhere from, you know, our lowest is about 30% of a company and the highest is about 75. That's pretty impressive to be honest, because, you know, yeah, telemedicine utilization rates are, are generally very low, um, less than 5%, at which point sometimes the ROI and the cost is actually negative. So let's talk about engagement. I mean, those are very high utilization and engagement rates. So how do you get there? What are you doing or how are you collaborating with employers to drive that level of engagement? For sure. It starts at the top. It starts with the leadership communicating, hey, we have a new strategy for healthcare, right? It's not just willy-nilly get care wherever you want. It's really, there's this awesome service. You're going to talk to a doctor within a few minutes. You go to him for anything. If mm-hmm. it's a lump, if it's, you know, pink eye, anything, come to us. So it starts with leadership really hyping it up. It also then boils down to a launch date. So hype it up around a launch date. Whenever we work with a group, we determine the launch date and then we get the census from the company. And on that launch date, we then send out unmasked invitations to every employee out there. This works really well with email, of course. Mm-hmm. For those employers that don't really use email, much more challenging, obviously. Yeah. So we have a three email process over the course of 30 days to get you to register. Registering takes like three minutes, but it also educates you about how to use us and what to do. You know, it's just a different sort of brand message. It doesn't look like stodgy old stock photography, healthcare doctors. You know, it's, it's a different image. It's a different sort of promise. You're offering it for free. So it's essentially free healthcare in the eyes of the employee, right? right. But right. There's, there's obviously a cost for your, your services. So what is the fee structure for Sherpa? We operate in what's called an episode of care, like I discussed earlier. It's, you know, that two days for a UTI, and that's like, hey, something's wrong, to us checking in to make sure that everything is resolved, to three weeks for that pneumonia, three months for that breast cancer scare. Each episode of care costs $100, and that's it. It's that simple. 
We keep it as simple as possible. We don't get paid unless people use it, but we're very confident that people will. Mm -hmm. um, it's really a strategy to get ahead of inappropriate usage so that folks' deductibles don't get eaten alive, those claims don't start hitting the plan. So it's a low-cost solution for employers to really just get ahead of those costs. Great. And so that $100 per episode of care is essentially just billed as people use the service every 30 days. So for a self-insured employer, it's really just built like a normal claim. You know, it's interesting. I mean, we can do usage in the first year, but if mm -hmm. some clients are like, hey, can we lock in a rate? After that first year, you can look at usage and then say, yeah, we're happy to do that because it is really predictable. I mean, once you get sort of steady state usage in a company, costs are very predictable in year two. And I think you mentioned on average in your book of business, you know, it's approximately three times a year usage. And you guys also have mentioned that you do subscription fees as well. So for employers, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a very low sort of monthly rate. And I'm experimenting with that. You know, if you have the right employer who's super engaged, like they shouldn't be paying for just nothing, essentially. We should do things and we should bring value and you should pay for it. But if you get the feeling that like skin in the game is an issue, you sort of want to talk about like, okay, let's talk about a fee that goes away after usage and skin in the game is over. We're pretty open, but you know, in the end, like the vast majority of our, it's not like Teladoc where 70% of their revenue comes from just that PEPM. That doesn't make me feel good. We've captured cost. We've captured, you know, what the, the service is and, and the engagement. Most employers, you know, when they're looking at implementing new services, almost always they're going to want to talk about how does this make my plan better? How does it save me money? So can you talk about in the seven years of operation that you have any sort of case studies or results on how your service is actually helping employers save money? So, I mean, first of all, let's just consider the cost of a, a PCP visit or an urgent care visit. You know, typically PCP is going to all in copay plus bills, 200 bucks, urgent care is 350 $100 for solving a problem is just rationally and financially. I, I mean, that's just, you can't argue. If that pneumonia is two office visits and we turn it into, you know, just one $100 solution, it's hard to argue. Now, the studies are challenging as you go deeper. The first year is sort of building usage. The second year is then saying, okay, it's sort of running full steam ahead. Yeah. Uh, but then third year is like, well, you know, we don't see much savings here, mostly because second year was bringing down those costs. And so it's not like you're going to get that second year savings every year going forward. Right. I think primarily what I would be referring to is probably the avoidance of unnecessary ER and urgent care visits. For sure. So it's about 25% reduction in ER and 36% in urgent care. That's the, those are the numbers that we have right now. Yeah, because most employers and brokers and consultants, I mean, they realize that primary care is not what's causing our healthcare costs to spiral out of control. But I think most people acknowledge that primary care physicians are probably in a better position than most to influence or control some of those downstream costs. For sure. And that's where I get most excited. I don't think we've talked about this yet, but just about last week, we actually just launched an integration with a specialist group out of Yale so that when our doctors need a specialist consult, for example, most of the time PCPs kind of know what's going on. They just mm -hmm. need an expert opinion about what yeah. to do. Now what we do is we compile the information, send off that information to the service. Within 24 hours, the specialists give us their opinion about you know what's going on and what next steps are. And so 
that's another just, you know, if we think about PCP visits and now specialist visits. So this service has been around for four years and what they found is 70% of specialist visits don't end in a face-to-face visit either. So wow. every day, all I'm thinking about is chipping away at giving the healthcare system stupid money. You know, <laughs> basically, basically what this is, it's all I think about. Let me rephrase it. So just chipping away at the waste that exists. Exactly. Right. <laughs> That's a little more PC, but you know, sometimes I, I get ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I like where your head's at, Jay. What are some obstacles you've encountered in employers saying yes to implementing your service? I would say that the combination of forward thinking brokers and forward thinking companies is it's kind of a rare combination. You know, there's a lot of people that are just sort of like, well, nothing we can do about this. So let's just grin and bear it versus, no, there's things you can do for sure. And so finding those companies and those partners and brokers and consultants is a challenge, but that's whenever, you know, you make connections with those groups. I mean, it's, that's why you get up in the morning. Love it. Inertia is a real thing out there. There's a lot of bias, you know, towards the status quo for, for many different reasons. But, you know, I, I think that's probably an obstacle that a lot of the companies that we interview on the show deal with is a reluctance to stray from what's currently in place. What are you most excited about right now in your business? You know, any improvements or enhancements to the, the Sherpa product or service that are in the works uh, for the future? Um, yeah. So, you know, a few things. This week, we just met with a company, Everlywell, which does at-home testing. So, you know, if you need STD testing, if you need cholesterol tested, that sort of thing. So they'll mail you a kit and you um, do it at home and they turn around the results in, you know, a few hours or, you know, uh, 24 hours or so. And again, it's any opportunity to give folks a fixed cost that Mm -hmm. that cost is fixed and transparent for people and also just, you know, make things convenient for them. Um, that's what it's all about. Now, right now within an episode of care, you have doctors, care navigators, and psychologists working within that episode of care with you. Um, going forward, there's going to be more chronic disease management folks. Um, really thinking about this as um, care man- a, a, a more hardcore care management for those more expensive things sure. um, in healthcare. Uh, so again, all we're doing is changing how you communicate and problem solve and saying, you don't need to do a lot of this in the office. So who are the folks that you can bring into that problem-solving scenario, and how can they communicate best with you? So that's really all we're doing. I love it. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't, in this um, interview, mention to our listeners that I am actually a Sherpa member. You had given me kind of a, a test run to, to go ahead and use it. And uh, probably uh, maybe six weeks ago, I had some discomfort in my elbow. And I'm not sure if it was from lifting weights or, you know, playing golf. And so I decided to test it out. The registration process was super easy. I, it was a Saturday or a Sunday, and I didn't want to have to go anywhere. And so I was able to connect with uh, Dr. Ganella back and forth. We did that whole questionnaire process with them. And, you know, within, I would say, you know, probably two hours of just going back and forth um, at different, you know, uh, times with uh, Q&A. You know, she had diagnosed me with tennis elbow and, you know, giving me some basic recommendations, which were, you know, really rest, um, a little bit of, uh, you know, ibuprofen, 
given me a link for like a $6 orthopedic to help with uh, the healing process. It was great. It was simple. It was convenient. Um, I felt like I was taken care of as, as a patient. And uh, I felt good about having just advice on, on what to do next. And, and most impressive that I found, and you, you alluded to this as sort of a, your, you know, your platform is kind of a project management tool, right? Yeah. Dr. Ganella reached out to me two weeks later to check in with me. I got to be honest, I was just kind of tickled, right? <laughs> that like, oh, she remembered me, <laughs> you know, right. you know, she like, she checked in with me and she, she wanted to see how I was doing. And just as a consumer and a patient, I loved that. And as a result, I've actually signed up with Sherpa for an annual subscription, Dr. Ganella as my primary care physician. And I'm super fired up about it. Thank you. It's, it's a really interesting, your statement is really wonderful in that what you just described is a very human connection. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird that you never met her, but you, you can design, oh, first of all, you have to hire the right people. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a wonderful doctor, an amazing person. Uh, but secondly, you can design processes that, that, you know, convey empathy and concern. And that's what we should be doing as doctors is letting you know that we care about you. Mm-hmm. And when you have to take the initiative to make an office visit, doctors in the wild don't have that ability to convey that they care about you much. Yes. Right? It's, it's very, it's, it, it can be very much a, a transactional, uh, you know, process. And, and look, I have friends, I have friends who are doctors or who are wonderful human beings and I don't ever yeah. want to give the impression that we're, you know, being hard on the doctors themselves. I think it just goes back to the, it's, it's tough in the existing system that totally. they have to operate within. Totally. And that's the thing. I always say doctors are wonderful people stuck in a pretty rough system. And so it's like, you know, but you know, the nice thing is we all have to play our part in making the system better. And so, you know, it's hard to think differently as a doctor. You're sort of that, that creativity and sort of going against the grain is kind of beaten out of you in day one of medical school. But those doctors that, that have decided to think a little differently are, are really remarkable pioneers. So Love it. congratulations to those guys. Yep, for sure. Jay, if there was one question that I should have asked you that I didn't, what would it be? I think an interesting thing that you don't think about in the practice of medicine and how asynchronous kind of works. Say, for example, your scenario that you described was a very weird situation. Like mm-hmm. tennis elbow is it's a thing, you know, it, it can be complicated, but sometimes it's pretty straightforward. But when you go see a doctor in an office, you essentially get her mind and that's it. Whenever something weird comes into us, the doctors talk about it amongst themselves because they, they can all jump in and see that case. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're like, they talk about it. And then the one doctor that you work with gets back to you. And so you kind of have this interesting hive mind uh, instead of just one doctor. To me, that's safe and it's accessible. And it's just, I don't know. It, it's just a, it's just a fundamentally different way of, of getting problems. Solved. Hey, m- multiple minds are generally better than, than one. So that makes, makes a lot of sense for those people who've listened to this interview and are interested in Sherpa, how can they get in touch with you and, or, you know, learn more about Sherpa? Yeah. I mean, Sherpa.com. You can email me J A Y at Sherpa.com. Appreciate everyone's time. And so hopefully I appreciate you talking about this. You bet. You bet. Well, with that, you know, on behalf of myself and our listeners, I want to thank you for taking time out of your, your busy schedule to join us. I think it's been a great dialogue and, and hopefully enlightening to, you know, some of our listeners about this new model of, of virtual primary care. 
And to our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and the content. And uh, with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Sherpa's website and contact information. Lastly, we welcome your feedback on the content and interviews we're bringing to you on the show. Please do leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher and let us know what you think. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.